Psalm 104, verses 1 to 10. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. So hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As the final journey progresses towards Jerusalem, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about who he is 
the nature of his mission, and the character of his kingdom, taking the twelve disciples to one side. He makes this astonishing prophecy to them. The Son of Man will be betrayed, condemned to death, handed over to the Gentiles, mocked, spat on, flogged and killed, and on the third day he will rise again. How would they react? Would they begin to understand what lay ahead for their master? Understand how they must respond? The kingdom has strange values, far indeed from those that they're familiar with. And the sad reaction of James and John must have been a grave disappointment to Jesus, seeming to gloss over the parts they found difficult and painful, the betrayal, the condemnation, the involvement with the Gentiles, torture and death. They seize on uh, his rising again. They say, we want you to do whatever we ask. They wanted to bind Jesus uh, before they even put the question. Let one of us sit on each side of you in your glory, was their request. No wonder Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking. They knew Jesus as their friend. They wanted always to be close to him as he had been during his ministry. They couldn't bear the thought of losing him, of being separated from him. They wanted their intimacy to continue forever and changed by what was to happen. Alongside him, they felt safe and secure, but they hadn't begun to understand the majesty and the greatness and the humility and indeed the purpose of their God, that his death was to be death for all people at all times and that they must see that the privilege they sought involved the exclusion of everybody else, even their close friends, even Peter. No wonder that the other disciples, when they heard their request, were full of resentment and anger. So perhaps this is why the psalm uh, chosen to be read for today is the one that I read uh, earlier on, Psalm 104 which speaks of the greatness of God and in a passage of sublime poetry of his splendor and his majesty wrapped in light and stretching out the heavens, making the clouds his chariot and riding on the wings of the wind. When Jesus said that, that what they asked for was not his to give, perhaps he too wanted them to be aware of the transcendent nature of God's glory and to remind them that their faith was, yet too, was as yet too human, too small, too comfortable, too cozy, too much formulated by the world's values where every institution has its pecking order, its inner circle, and presence means power and a reflection of his glory. But that set of values doesn't obtain in the kingdom of God, nor for Jesus, who was always happy to devote time and attention 
to the poor and the outcast rather than to the religious, religious leaders who looked for the coming of Messiah but whose proud eyes failed to recognize or recede him when he came. In God's kingdom, all the world's values are turned upside down. Of course, it is the way of the world to be driven by the desire for power and position, military and economic and social. We see a bit of the workings of it a century ago as we watch Downton or read about the history of the Western world or watch the news. This week's scandal has been a cabinet minister allegedly calling a policeman a pleb as he demands to be allowed to go through the wider gate rather than the narrow one. And we all know what happens to those who demand the wider gate. The desire for recognition, for power or position pervades not only society, but the hearts and minds of individuals of whatever social level. The servant's world below stairs as much as the rich on the other side of the green bay's door. Even the hierarchy amongst prisoners in any jail. Surely these values should not be seen in the church of God. Yet like some infectious disease, at many times and in many places we do see the same longing for power and recognition amongst the people of God, with elaborate titles, magnificent palaces to live in, treasures, and in individuals when we Christians in our hearts are tempted to look down on others, to count ourselves more devoted, more worthy than others, more orthodox, more spiritual, more generous, or simply of greater value than others we choose to compare ourselves with. So Jesus heard the question they asked about the resurrection and noted their desire for a share in his glory. But what about the road leading to that point? Jesus's reply drew attention to what must precede it. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, he asks. The cup speaks of his suffering and the punishment he has to bear. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was Jesus's cup, and he's obviously thinking of Isaiah 53. To give up his life as a ransom for many, he says. And baptism too is an image of being thrust under the waters violently and symbolically killed, as Jesus was to accept, but in his case not symbolically, but literally. He must have in mind his own baptism at the beginning of his ministry when he started out on the journey which must lead to this death. Perhaps James and John thought of this conversation, indeed how could they ever forget it, at the cross when they saw Jesus glorified but the two who were on either side of him were not the two brothers, but the two thieves. Recognizing the anger and division which James and John provoked in their small group, Jesus closed the incident with a word of warning. The concept of leadership associated with power and privilege 
accepted and unquestioned among the Gentiles, as indeed in the world too, but in the kingdom which they aspired to, there is another entirely different principle at work, the principle of servanthood. He is, after all, the suffering servant of Isaiah, whose way delights the Lord himself, for it reflects God's self-emptying love. And so they too, like Jesus, must become servants, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. If we have the aspiration to know something of the heart and mind of Jesus, which we must have if we are to follow his example, we must turn our backs on the way of the world and discover what it is to be servants to those around us. Servants not merely within the Christian community, but of our friends and acquaintances and neighbors in the world. Service which is generous, creative, costly, and expects no return. After all, he's given us the supreme lesson of the Good Samaritan, who acted as a servant from the moment that he came across the wretched body, beaten and at the side of the Jericho Road, a cross-cultural act of sheer, generous, sacrificial love, not to mention the way he, the Prince of Glory, was content to take the role of servant in kneeling before the disciples and washing their feet. And he's given us the supreme example in his own life and death to demonstrate to James and John and to all disciples that there are no limitations to servanthood, no barriers of race, culture, or class, no limitations on the cost which being a servant demands, no benefits or blessings which the faithful servant may not scatter about him as we walk through our lives. Amen.